Let's not say that. Here we go. Okay. Acts 15.41. He went through Syria and Cilicia, uh, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. It's just telling us the story of what the apostles accomplished, that God scatters the church. And next week we're getting back into Acts verse by verse. We're just fast-forwarding ahead a little for today. But as churches were planted, the apostles went back to those locations and they strengthened them because they needed to be strengthened. And, and uh, that's the story of congregations. And so the scripture says he went through, they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let me pray for us. God, we're grateful for this worship experience already today, to be able just to offer our hearts up to you, to come to you, and to open up our ears and our understanding. God, speak to us this morning. Help us as we think about what it means to be a congregation of people who love our community, who love one another deeply and are committed to truths and realities that shape our experience both when we gather and when we're apart. And I pray that you'll use this word today by your spirit to help us as we think about our life together. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to say this with modesty because... uh, I, you know, for this to have happened, some bad things had to happen first. But like last year, my wife and I together lost 99 pounds. So I'm going to reach back there and pat my. So if we had tried a little harder, we could have lost 100 pounds together. But I lost 50 pounds last year, starting about the second week of January to today, and have have kept the weight off. And I, I was thinking about, you know, how that happened for us. You know, to begin with, I had to uh, get very overweight. <laughs> that was the first step. The first step was I'm 60 years old for a large portion of my life. I stress ate. I ate as a response to anxiety. I ate as a response to boredom. I ate because I was sitting up late and I really like ice cream and pizza and anything that I wanted, I just ate it and I didn't think about it that much. But uh, we are in ministry. A lot of times people in ministry, whether you know it or not, are functionally self-employed for benefits. So basically I have to find insurance. We do this thing called MediShare, which is medical bill sharing. And we've been doing it for quite a long time because it's the most affordable approach to health care for my wife and I. And so they had pestered us for a while about, hey, we've got health care coaches. And uh, you can enlist somebody. By the way, it's free. You know, they would tell us that. And uh, for the longest time, I was the impediment. My wife had, literally, you could go in our house. I bet you I can find 50 books on nutrition in our house. Because my wife has been reading this stuff periodically. We'll make an effort at it. I sabotage it every single time. It's always me. You know, hey, it's Friday. I'm just going to go grab a large pizza. Or, you know, I just get us off the plan, and I mess it all up. But last year we decided we're going to dive in here, and we're going to take this on. And uh, so, you know, both of us committed to engage in a health care coach as much as I didn't I don't want somebody telling me what to do I still you know said yes to that and we what we've done isn't gimmicky you know like we're not taking anything I'm not saying that's not helpful to you it may be but for us we just decided we're going to do this by changing our behavior we uh somebody in this church had lost 50 pounds and I, I said what are you doing because I can see that you've lost 50 pounds 
and he, he told me he was doing intermittent fasting. I'm like, huh, interesting. So we started looking into that, reading up on it. And basically, for me, I eat from noon to 8, basically, most days. But I found out it's not just when you eat, it's what you eat also, okay? So you can't just, like, eat everything you want from noon to 8. That's not how it works. But so, you know, we're just learning and talking to Jonathan some, who has worked as a uh, trainer, you know, helps people think through their physical body and it, it just, we began to choose some sustainable behaviors. That was one thing I wanted is to be able to not lock, lock on to something that six months out, it's going to lose its momentum and I can't keep doing it. You know, we just tried to figure out a new lifestyle, new way of life. So basically I walk about three miles a day, six days a week. I take Sunday off and watch football and relax, but you know, I try to walk unless the weather or something pre- prevents it, exercise. We found support. My wife, the biggest thing, I will say this, is that partnership, the two of us doing it together. And I'm not talking to you d- today about weight loss. I'm talking to you first as an illustration of something else. But this is what happened for us. We monitored our progress. These are things like... First time you throw a um, measuring tape around your waist, you know, and, and then you have to answer to people for how that's going. We created accountability, monitored our progress with apps and scales and labs because at the end, to save $100 a month, that was our goal, our health care goal, I had to submit labs. My, I had to go to the doctor's office, draw, they drew my blood, we submitted labs. They look at all these different panels, and that's how you graduate out. It's based on a bunch of measurements. So we followed it with apps and measurements, and we, you know, committed to different routines. You know, we got out of a rut and got in a groove. That's what I think we did. We were in a rut. We got out of that, got into a groove, which is better. But we figured out that to do, you know, to get a different outcome, we had to do different, even radical things. If I wanted a different outcome, I had to do different, even radical things. They are radical for us, you know. Uh, it's just transitioning into some better thinking and behaving. I had to unlearn some things and learn some new things. I've struggled with my weight all of my adult life. I got married at 24, quit smoking. I was a smoker. Immediately gained 40 pounds first years of my marriage. I'd been eating corn dogs and whatever I could lay my hands on as a single person, a bachelor. I ate like a bachelor. got married. My wife was cooking these delicious meals. She's an excellent cook. I gained 40 pounds probably the first year of marriage. You can look at the pictures of us. We got married in uh, what? Oh, April. No, September. September of that year. I need Frankie in here to tell me what I'm talking about. But we got married in September, and by Christmas, you can look at our clothes, and it's like our buttons are like, we were happy. You know, that's part of what it was. But, you know, I've struggled with my weight all along, and, you know, but I think we finally learned how to do this at 60, you know, so that there's something to perseverance, I think, that's important. Every day, we commit ourselves to this again. Every day we get up, we're committed to it again. So January 1 happens. It's no different for me. 
I'm just like, I want to keep doing what I was doing last year, only better and, and more. You know, I still, I got rid of the clothes that I was wearing before. We we're like, we're burning the ships, you know. I don't want to wear those clothes anymore. I hope that continues to be the case. We're committed to progress and not perfection. And I have to look at this as an ongoing quest to find a better version of myself. And, and I want to do that. I'm committed to that. I want to find a better version of myself. And, I, you know, part of what I'm saying to you is change sometimes is difficult. There's not a gimmick. There's not a magic trick. People sometimes will approach either of us and, you know, what are you doing? And you try to explain it to them. But what they really want to hear is, like, show us the easy way to do that. And there's not an easy way. I'm sorry. It takes discipline, it takes changing and looking at life differently, changing a lot of habits and laziness for me. And every day I have to get up and think progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. I want to be better. It's not going to be perfect, but I'm going to keep at it. And I have to look at it, at it that way, that it doesn't happen accidentally. It requires work and willingness. What did I get out of it? My knees don't hurt, okay? My left knee, I went to see an orthopedist over my knee. My knee doesn't hurt anymore. Cleared up, miraculously. You think about 50 pounds, it's like if you take five 10-pound bags of sugar and thinking about carrying that around all the time, that's what it amounts to. And so it's like that's gone. My knee pain is gone. My blood pressure, I checked it yesterday, 117 over 77. Came off of... uh, blood pressure med- a blood pressure medication my goal is that they'll take me off of all of that so I'm going to keep working toward it I feel better about myself we went and bought new clothes that fit us well you know, I feel better about myself took responsibility for an area of my life that was within my control you know how you feel about life sometimes like a lot of stuff feels like it's not in your control this was in my control I neglected it, but I could have, you know, affected the outcome. So we decided let's affect the outcome. We're saving $100 a month, $1,200 a year because we met the markers that our health care people asked us to. I don't know about you, but $1,200 to me is fairly significant that I can do different things with. And I've had people tell me, hey, what you're doing is an example to other people. We appreciate how you're trying to model that you know, in your own own life. So, as I say, not to sound boastful or anything, but that's this is what happened. We had a vision. This is how it occurred. There's a vision for the person that I want to be, and then a plan, and then you work the plan. And the, the practices of it, self-denial, exercise, information, you know, trying to learn, it's all helpful. Well, virtually everything I just said, is true about how churches change. When we think about how do churches change, you don't get a different outcome by doing the same things. How is a church strengthened? It's not going to be strengthened by practices that have been detrimental. So no church can change without, uh, and change deeply without new behaviors. There are no gimmicks or magic bullets. Sometimes we think, well, maybe we'll just show up one day and it'll be different. Um, That's not how it works. You're not going to show up one day and it be different. It requires diligence and change and commitment. And to get different outcomes, we have to do different things that require work and willingness. 
So if physical health, listen to me, is worth making major adjustments, how much more so the future of this local church? If anybody's physical health is worth making physical adjustments, and by the way, I'm fully conscious of the fact that I'm going to die one day. That there, you know, somebody is going to hold a funeral service. I am going to die. My life on earth is temporary. If this temporary life is worth making adjustments and paying attention to, how much more the life of this spiritual community where people's destinies are impacted and their futures are shaped and their character is developed. And that's what I want us to think about today for a little while. What commitments are required to strengthen the church? If you thought, well, yeah, I know that there's a a path I'm on that needs to be adjusted and done differently. So that's where where we're going to go. And the first question, I think, when we think about this subject is, what is it that I'm trying to strengthen? What is it? So essentially, what is a church? What is a church? Well, we get the answers to all of that in the Bible but the local church is our focus. You know, what's a church? Well, this is a, a local expression of Christ's body. And Acts, local churches is what they were strengthening. They were going to locations that they had visited on missionary journeys, and they were investing back into those believers to strengthen the human beings that comprise Christ's church there. And a church was a community of born-again, baptized believers who were committed to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. When you look at Acts chapter 2, that's what it was. It was a a fellowship, a community of baptized, born-again believers who were committed to the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, which we can take to either mean communion or just meal fellowship with each other, and it meant both, I think, in their situation. And they were committed to to prayer. Those were the the things that made a church, really, and were the identifying markers of churches. It's a community of the Spirit. In other words, a church is a place where the Holy Spirit of God has sway. He he is the controlling person in the the congregation. He lives in born-again people. That's what makes it possible for a church to be a place where the Spirit of God has sway in community, is that he lives there in you and in me if we know him. It's a Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting people who commit to regularly gather to worship and to exhort one another, the Bible says, toward love and good works. So I've said this bunches of times, there is no definition of church which does not include the concept of connecting, gathering, being together with other people for the purpose of worship. Out of our worship will come service and uh, witness, but we gather, we come together, we pull aside from the routines that we're committed to all the time so that we can worship. And we, we worship, we offer up ourselves willingly to, to God. We connect with God deliberately. Historically, churches have been people who associate by covenant. That's what this church is. The agreement that was made when this church was founded is that there are biblical promises that we make. 
That's one of the things we talk about in the on-ramp class. What does the covenant here say? I want to talk a little bit about how the sausage is made today. You hear people say that. You don't want to know how the sausage is made. Well, it's important for us to think about some of these basic ideas that drive us toward decision-making and corporate behavior as a congregation. And how, how to improve, like how to take something and just make it better. Better is good. But we, we think about this congregation, it has covenant, a covenant, okay? It's, it's just like marriage in the sense that we, when you are married, sometimes people write their vows, sometimes they just uh, find traditional vows, but there is an exchanging of vows, Right? And what, what do we say in our vows? Like, I promise to honor, obey. Sometimes it says obey. It, but it, but it, it talks about the agreement that we make to each other, too. It's a commitment of ourselves, an expression of commitment for better, for worse, and sickness and health, rich or poor, mostly poor to start with, it felt like. But we're, we're making these covenant agreements, and that's what it means to belong in a local church, to be a member, is that we say yes to agreements, and then we uh, flesh them out. That's what maturity looks like. It's the fleshing out of the promises that we make in covenant community with other followers of Jesus who are worshiping and witnessing and serving. So that's what it means to be a church. At the heart of that commitment are biblical promises. They're not things humans made up just because it was some impulse. They studied the Bible. They arrived at conclusions on the basis of that. And they said these are the fundamental premises around which community is shaped and formed. That's what a church is. It's a group of people who had in their heart this desire to worship and know God in fellowship with others and to make him known, to be a praying presence. A church is a family because the Bible says as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to, his, uh, to those that call on his name. A church is a family knit together by a common bond, our confession that Jesus is Lord. That if we confess with our mouth, the Bible says that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. That's what the scripture says. The the common confession among those who follow Jesus is that he is Lord. He's master and we follow him as, as disciples of his. So churches are a missionary presence in their community. In, in the first century, when you see what was happening, God was adding to the church. They were lighthouses of hope. I thought about this stuff. Sometimes I'll post little blurbs from my sermon on Facebook. And I posted that this week, that a church is not a business any more than your household is a business. But it has business. Your household's not a business, right? You don't look at it that way. Your marriage, your family. But you do have business, and you deal with it. Mine does. I don't think of my marriage as a business, but it has business. And so I try, you know, we do. We try to do our business well. We have responsibilities and we have commitments and convictions. 
And then the question becomes, are we going to act consistently with our own interest and responsibilities and convictions? And that's where we are. That's where we are in our congregational moment. Is we're thinking through these behaviors and commitments and responsibilities and trying to determine what's healthy and what's helpful. Healthy and helpful. As we think about the culture and the and the the uh, society we're a part of, and some of the basic things that we need, churches are houses of prayer. They're communities in which prayer is the air we breathe. These are some aspects that you know when we look at um, becoming a member of these churches. It's basic, and the, these are the things that we say matter. To be a member, you confess that Jesus is Lord. You follow him in baptism if you've never done so. Why? Because it's Christ's command. His command is to be baptized. When he commissioned the disciples, he said, I'm sending you to make disciples of the nations, uh, teaching them everything I've commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we said last week, baptism is you, you go into this watery tomb and you're raised out, a new person with the Spirit of God to give you the capacity to live a different kind of life. We talked about being born again, being born of the water and being being born of spirit. And so this is what it means. It's a confession that Jesus is Lord. It's a commitment to biblical covenant realities. We're saying, hey, yes, I function under the authority of not only the leaders that God gives to a church, but my fellow believers. I'm in covenant community with, uh, with them too. And so we are responsible for each other. We're responsible to each other. All of this is involved in the idea of what it means to be a local church. So when, you know, I'm talking about how the sausage is made. If somebody works with children or students here, there are expectations that are going to uh, be required, right? You are going to have a background investigation performed if you're going to work with kids here or if you're going to serve in the nursery here or you're going to work with students here. We're going to ask you uh, to give us your permission to conduct a criminal background investigation, which, by the way, is about this much of what's involved in actual child protection in congregations. It's very important. We're going to ask you to, in fact, require of you that you do mandated reporter training. It's a part of our requirement now. So you understand what it looks like when abuse is happening in a home and you know how to respond. We're going to tell you that you must do one hour of online training uh, with Ministry Safe so you understand basic fundamentals of how to protect kids and recognize sex abuse when it's occurring and learn important principles about. So I'm just saying for churches, there are requirements that we have. The thing that we've done recently, and it took about eight to ten months as a congregation to do, is said to serve on any team in any way here because of the information that's come to us about insurance coverage. And then our biblical convictions also is to say, for you to serve on a team, you need to take the step of membership. And this is what membership means. It's going to be occasional training that's required of you. And it's it's going to uh, look like 
this for us going forward. And it's a little bit of a painful moment, I think, as we adjust to this. And all I can say is it's needed. It's well thought out. I took a month here. I think I was preaching through Hebrews as an aside to say this is what the elders are talking about. I've been asked because I preach most weeks to say these things that we concluded after doing some uh, serious investigation. And then we gave the congregation the opportunity to vote. You voted unanimously to adjust to these. And now we're doing it, and it's a little painful. And But this is why. Because membership is the important aspect, and we, we want to protect and help and, and be... Con- I always think, like, deliberate behavior. These are the things that I think about. Predictable. It, even Scripture says... Uh, that church is supposed to be orderly and not confusing. And when I think about us leading, that's where we're coming from. It's like, how do, how do we get things to be deli- deliberate, predictable, and make it so that it's obvious that we, we are, uh, the pr- practices we have are well thought out. So that's what some of this is. But secondly, when we think about how do we accomplish church strength and what is it we're trying to accomplish local church how do we go about accomplishing that strengthening well there are three things that I think matter here the first one is pulling together Uh, the scripture says and we'll come back to this but now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul I remember reading this when I was preaching through Acts earlier and thinking aha there it is People always talk about the secret sauce. What's the secret sauce? That right there. The the scripture says they were of one heart and one soul. They were pulling together. And I want to sit down there for a minute and let's think about that. This idea of pulling together. Acts 4.32. The multitude of those who believe were of one heart and one soul. The context of this was their generous sharing. They were meeting needs. But their effectiveness was enhanced by their mutual understanding and commitment to their common identity. So they were effective because they pulled together, because they worked together. And sometimes to me, I think if, if we want to evaluate effectiveness, one of the most important things we could do is to say, how do we get to that place of being one heart, one soul? Of course, we're all different human beings, but how do we work together in a, in a way that causes us to have effectiveness? Well, here are some ideas. One, we coalesce around a vision of what the church can be. We coalesce around a vision of what the church can be, not a vision of what the church has been. I read a, a description for a pastor one time uh, I used to work with a network of churches, and I saw that this church was trying to hire a pastor, and their job description said, we want someone to help us return to our glory days. And I thought, that's a failed idea. I would never write a job description that said that because God isn't only in the past, right? God has a preferred reality for the church now and in the future. And so... That, this, I think, is part of what it means to pull together. We go, you know, you coalesce, you come together around a vision of 
what could happen now. You know, I'm here all through the week, and, you know, you can walk through this building sometimes, and and you can almost see the point where it just kind of came to a standstill and where there stopped being some things that are needed. And I think, you know, it would be wonderful to see, for us to, like, have to go, we need a new ministry for parking. We need to come up with a team of people to get outside and help people know where to park. Or it would be wonderful to see us having to continue to add Bible study groups, which we should be doing anyway, and Jonathan and I are talking about quite a lot. But the vision, that's where the vision needs to go. You know, into like what could be if God's spirit begins to, to work among us and we pull together and and I always like good problems in churches. You know, churches always have problems just because they're people. I really like good problems, like figuring out how do we adjust to growth? What do we do now that these great things are happening? So pull together. We aren't passive. You know, I'm fine with criticism, and I'm fine with critique because criticism and critique are part of how things get better. You know, criticism just goes, hey, this thing is not good. It needs to be improved. But criticism and critique are not enough if they don't go along with collaboration, creativity, commitment. It's not enough to have be able to identify a problem. You also have to be a part of the answer. And so we we aren't passive. We recognize problems, but we also commit to help. What What's the idea about how to make it better? We die to self. You know, this is, Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow after me. That's just discipleship. We, we say today, again, God, I wake up, I want to die to myself, I want to live uh, unto you. We allow reluctance and suspicion to give way to trust. We extend the benefit of the doubt to others. So how do we pull together? We, we set aside reluctance to commit trust to uh, and, and to be suspicious. And we go, you know, I, I just know the people that I lead with, Jonathan, Scott, Mr. Varney, Alvin, Ken, that we, we meet and we pray. We went, met and prayed this past Thursday that each of the people that this church has identified to help serve as elders are godly people who love Christ and want the best for this congregation. And I think there's a point where you just go, we cheer for you, we support you, we pray for you. You know, we're, of course, we're going to communicate and, and be in, help the congregation to remain involved and to know what's happening. But there's a point where you have to trust people. You need to trust people unless they're proven to be untrustworthy, in which play, uh, case you should replace them and, and uh, get other people. But if you if you have voted these people to serve you, then committing trust and taking away your reluctance and being willing to support them is is vital. When when people work together, friction gives way to momentum. That's what happens. It's like when people are pulling in the same direction, friction gives way to momentum. The first idea, you know, I thought about like for yeah, I always think in analogies, and like the analogy I have is like Newtonian physics. It's like I did, probably didn't pay that much attention to that in school, but it's like an object at rest stays at rest, right? 
that was Newton's idea about and but for something to change for the object to move required sustained effort and then you had to overcome friction because it was static and it was just sitting there at rest but when you introduce force it starts to move but you have to sustain the force then and I probably have a poor idea of Newtonian physics anyway but I do think that's how my momentum looks. It's like people pull together, we're working toward the same objective, and it starts to feel less difficult after a while. When you pull together, we forgive others their trespasses as our Father in heaven also forgives us our trespasses. We don't gloss over real hurts, but we also don't nurse grievances. I think this is so fundamental. You remember what Jesus said and his disciples said, teach us how to pray, as John also taught his disciples how to pray. He said, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And you know what else it says there? If we don't forgive our uh, others their trespasses, need Neither will our Father in heaven forgive us our trespasses. So the only thing you can say about that is that you are doing tremendous harm to your own spiritual self by not forgiving others, by nursing resentment and and not forgiving. I like this quote I saw this week by A.W. Tozer. He says, there are Christians whose mere presence incites others to be better Christians. He says, I want to be that rare Christian. I want to be that rare Christian. So that's part of it. What else? How do we do, pull together? How do we, you know, what does it look like to accomplish church strength? And pull together, commit to a little more, a little more. I used to work for this man named James Cooks. He was my supervisor when I was a maintenance mechanic. And uh, we worked for, I worked for Westinghouse at Savannah Riverside in Aiken, South Carolina. And uh, it was a post-Cold War nuclear facility where they used to process uh, plutonium and uranium for weapons programs. So post-Cold War meant we didn't do an awful lot out there except for make pretty decent money, you know, (laughs) and learn how to play a game called Bid Whist really well, card game. So he would say, if everybody does a little, nobody has to do a lot. That's what he used to tell us. And I remember that. I thought, well, most of the time, none of us are doing even a little, you know, out here. But if if everybody does a little, nobody has to do a lot. I thought that's such a good adage for what churches should look like. You know, everybody finds their niche, their part, and they do it. And then people don't feel stressed out and overwhelmed because we have – understood what discipleship means and the way the Bible intends it. When you read 1 Corinthians, you get to chapter 12, it talks about spiritual gifts. You read Romans, you get to chapter 12, it talks about spiritual gifts. basically says God has endowed, empowered every believer to serve. And I know all of our service isn't about the local church, but more of our service could be about the local church. You know, I think about us and, and uh, the way that we are, and a, a question I think to ask is when it comes to the local church, is God getting your best or is he, is he getting your leftovers? Does he get our best or does he get our leftovers? What does a person who's all in do? 
you know, if we're committing to more, they show up, they love their church, they work together with others for its well-being so that people can be discipled and experience God. They work hard for their church's health. They love their brothers and sisters in Christ and care for each other. They place more of a priority on gathering with other Christians for worship. Now, that's a challenge, I think, for us. We live in a culture where uh, connecting for worship has become less of a priority, and it's not a healthy development at all. You know, it's prioritizing that connection where we worship. I read a book a while back because I would pass by. Um, I used to drive out from my home and go to, you know, a bunch of congregations as in, in serving a network of churches. We'd pass by the ball fields, and you started to notice tournament ball happening on Sunday. I never saw that, you know, 15 years ago. You never saw that. But they built the, you know, this big facility, and I would see it, and I was like, I had conversations with other people. I'm like, I don't know how to think about this, you know. And, and I read a book by a person uh, who wrote a, uh, it was called A Brief History of Sunday. Because Christians a lot of times refer to Sunday and Sabbath uh, interchangeably. We, we say the Sabbath as the same way as saying Sunday, but that was a development. Saturday in the Jewish world was, in the first century world, Saturday was the Sabbath, Friday sundown to uh, Saturday. So, uh, you know, I think about that. I was just interested in thinking about, you know, how some of the older people here know what a blue law is. Anybody know what a blue law is? They used to not allow stores to be open on Sunday. In North America, it used to be against the law for businesses to open on Sunday. And it was just a way of them, you know, it was a one one thing, it was a way of saying Christianity is pretty enculturated for that to happen. They, they passed laws so that, uh, you, you know, businesses would stay closed. Of course, that's not the way the world works anymore, and I'm not necessarily even recommending that the world should work that way. I think it's great when Christians have influence that, becomes uh, healthy practices in society. But the least I could say after reading a good portion of Gonzalo's book, A Brief History of Sunday, is that there are related unhelpful effects when Christians are habitually absent from church. The church suffers, and so does the absent member. How can shepherds watch over a flock they never see? That's Mark Dever. And, but he's right. How can shepherds watch over a flock they never see? It's important for us to prioritize our connection. And also the third idea of like how do we strengthen the church is for, formalize your commitment. That's what we're asking right now for, for people is formalize your commitment. The excellence we give to strengthen the church is an expression of our love for Jesus Sunday school today was, I don't. I know people don't say off the chain anymore, okay? But I'm old, so I'll say whatever I want to say. It was awesome. It was, it dovetailed so nicely into our discussion and talking, Jesus says, here's the problem. He says, you have left the love that you had at first. When you first came to know me, you had this passionate love for me that transformed you, but now you don't have that same kind of love. That's what Jesus said to the group of believers. And he says, remember from where you've fallen and repent and do the works that you did at first. Return, he says, to the love that you had at first. 
And then I was telling them in Sunday school, that made me think about when Frankie and I got married, September of 1987, that like we came to faith in Christ and we got married and we were double honeymooning. We were honeymooning together, even though we got married one day and went to work the next day. But we were also experiencing church for the first time and and we were in this healthy encouraging spiritual community in Augusta Georgia our hometown and I think about that not that you know I don't want to look back at that being the good old days or anything like that I want to live the good old days right now in love with Jesus with a bunch of people who are in love with Jesus and that's what Jesus says you know remember repent return to the love that you had at first. And so that's why when we think about the excellence we we bring to strengthen the church is really an expression of our love for Jesus. That's why it matters that we're trying. You know, I I heard this long ago. I believe this, the idea that we should be hard on problems and not on people. You know, we're trying to be hard on problems and not hard on people. And the way that I know that we're attempting that is because we're having conversations with human beings when it feels difficult for them to adjust to the changes that are happening in in our church regarding membership. Having conversations with people, reaching out to people, doing our best to make, you know, a a conversation happen so we can say we, we don't feel led to change what we're doing, but we do want you to be heard and we want you to understand why and so we're trying to be hard on problems, not on people. It was the adjustments need to be made for us to be healthier in the future. And we say, why put an emphasis on membership, though? I think a bunch of reasons. One, it's good shepherding because, again, to care for a group of people, you need to know who the people are that you're caring for. You know, shepherds aren't responsible for caring for everybody in the world. You know, as a pastor, I'm not responsible to care for everybody in the world, but I am responsible to help care for the people that are part of my flock, our congregation. It's good shepherding. It militates against rampant consumer culture. Part of the problem with the church in North America is that we've developed this idea that what church is is that I'm a consumer and the church is a product. Well, I hate to tell you, but that's not a Bible idea. The Bible doesn't teach that the that you are a consumer and that the church is a product that you consume. We looked in the very beginning at all the ideas about what a church is. And what a church is instead is a, a family that we belong to. It's not a product we consume. And so I like the idea that church is for you, but it's not about you. It is for you, but it's not about you or me or any of us. It's about Christ as king. Membership helps facilitate regenerate church membership. One of the things that, like if you decide to come to on-ramp class and say, I'm going to take a step of membership here, you are asked to write your testimony. And it's uh, testimony is really easy. It just says, what was my life like before I came to know Jesus? Second, how did I come to know Jesus? Third, what's my life like now? That's basically it, and for a person that's committed to it, it's an exercise you could complete at the very most, I would say, in a few hours. For me, I could probably do it, you know, in just a couple of minutes, and most people could probably do it pretty quickly, but that's part of what we ask for. Why? Because we believe that 
the Bible shows that the people that were added to the church were regenerate. They were born again. They knew Christ. It, it, it was a transformational reality for them. It communicates expectations. It's biblical. I've been having this conversation. I, I just want to take a minute and talk about that. It's needed in our North American uh, church context. One of the reasons we started looking at that very carefully is because our insurance provider, Southern Mutual, said you have some uh, liability uh, concerns here based on the idea of, who, you know, membership was one aspect of it. But North the, the church context that we're in, you have to be a uh, 5013C, right? We are. That means you have to be incorporated. Like I told you, you don't want to know how the sausage is made, but the sausage is made a particular way. And an aspect of it is that there are legal requirements to be a church and to give and to, you know, for the involvement that we have and for the protection that we provide for people that we care for. They were strengthening who? The world? The community? No, they were strengthening the church. They knew what the church consisted of in the scripture. People were be at, being added to their number, the Bible says. So it means that they knew who belonged to the congregation. They knew that the people that were outside of the congregation. It helps us differentiate between community culture and the world. All of those are different and, and have their own uh, role but the church is the church, and it's a holy community of worshipers. They put people out of the church for egregious moral incongruity, so they knew who was part of their fellowship and who wasn't. And I put a few of the references to that up there, but there are many, many more. So here's what I'm saying to you. One of the ways that we know that membership existed and was important is because in a negative sense, when it came time for them to commit to discipline, they started with it being redemptive. They said, first of all, we want you to be reconciled to Christ and to your brothers. It was redemptive. They loved people. They drew people in. And, but if it ever got to a point where the person was like, I am, I'm completely resistant to the moral standards of the congregation, eventually Paul said to them, cast them out of the church. He said, uh, surrender them to Satan is the way he put it for the destruction of the flesh. So it's clear that they knew who they were responsible for. They treated that responsibility seriously, and they, they acted accordingly. So there's this distinction that you can see in the Scripture. Mark Dever said, the church today seems to be filled with individuals so concerned about knowing how they can be well-fed, well-served, and well-trained that they forget to consider how they can help feed, serve, and train others. It's reciprocal, and that's what maturing discipleship looks like. So just as your own health matters, you know, I started out talking about that. The health of our church matters. If anything is ever going to change, it will be because people do things differently. We commit to new behaviors. There are no gimmicks or tricks. I wish I, you know, you see stuff for sale all the time in the religious marketplace that are like, just do this and your church will grow to 500 members. And it would be awesome if that's how it worked. But the, tr the truth is there are no tricks, there are no gimmicks, there are just biblical behaviors to conform to. And what feels like, this is what I'm finding, 
what feels like big dramatic change is predicated on smaller hidden routines and habits that require understanding, then deliberate, persistent commitment, patient follow-through. You know, sometimes we back up and we go, wow, how did that happen? How did it happen that growth occurred? Or in my case, you know, growth didn't occur. <laughs> Started working backwards, in fact. But how does that happen? Well, it's, it didn't happen, it, some dramatic thing. I had to remember it took me years to put on the weight that I put on and then weight I still need to take off. It's taken years to put it on, and I have to be patient in the process of it coming back off. So what feels like big dramatic change is predicated on smaller hidden routines and habits that require understanding, deliberate, persistent commitment, patient follow-through. So that's it. It's not more complicated than that. So for us as a congregation, that, that's what, where we're saying we're trying to lead to uh, us to. I, I said I used to work for Westinghouse as a maintenance mechanic. They made me go to respirator training. They called it a hog head. Anybody that's ever worked in certain kind of environments, it's like a, you had to be fitted for a res, respirator. Uh, I can't grow a good beard anyway like Scott and some other people, you know. But you had to shave when you went to respirator training. They made you shave. You got to shave your face. You can't wear a respirator and work here with the beard. You have to shave it. It's part of the job requirement that I had. You had to go to uh, fire safety training. I can remember all this stuff. You fight the fire in the uh, beginning stage. You know, they send you to all these different trainings that you, you attended. They sent me to lockout, tagout training. Anybody that's worked in the mechanical field, it's like you, you uh, put a tag and a lock on this device as safety measure to make sure you don't kill somebody down here. You did stuff like that. Then they sent you for training on machinery. And I wasn't a great mechanic. I was a welder. That was the main thing I did out there. But I had to learn a lot of different things to work in that environment. And I had to do them, and I did them all, guess what, for a paycheck. That's what I did. I want to keep eating and paying insurance and doing all the things that I do. So I checked the boxes and I, did, I took care of the qualifications that were required of me. And what I'm saying is, as a church, we're that way. We have expectations. Usually they're well thought out in the interest of fostering predictably healthy outcomes and strengthening spiritual community. And if we submit to reasonable expectations and adjustments to make a paycheck. Why would we do less than that in our lives in community with other Christians for King Jesus? That's my question. That's something more important than a paycheck because it's eternal. So I'm just laying out the case for you today about how we get stronger. We pull together. We recognize that we got to be have one heart, one soul, and our purpose together is a, is a part of what we do. We do a little more. You know, maybe you're doing way more than you need to. Well, do a little less. But some of us need to do a little more. And we need to make a commitment to that and to formalize our commitment. So it's clear, I think we'll be clear about what those pathways look, look like. 
the main idea here is we want this to be a congregation where Christ can be honored and exalted and people can worship and things can be delivered and predictable and healthy and conversations can occur when stuff is hard. People can uh, be in fellowship with each other without impediment. Those are a lot of the objectives. And so we're going to have a time of commitment. We'll sing a song together as we conclude our service. And I would just reiterate, you know, have those conversations as needed and help us understand what we don't if it's clear that we don't. And if you're, as you've listened, uh, are aware that, like, the need for me is to be a follower of Jesus. I've never surrendered my life to him and experienced the forgiveness of sins that he provides then as an aspect of our worship today we encourage you to trust him alone as your savior or to just talk with us and help us to have those the conversations that can lead you to that baptistry over there and and uh, the practice of baptism as an aspect of following him let me pray for us and we'll ask you if you would please stand together as we conclude our service Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of Scripture. Thank you for the fact that we see that strengthening of the congregations occurred at times and that it was their commitment to be reforming and conforming to Christ and to your holiness. And we pray, Father, for help as we lead. God, help as we follow you. God, most of all, that each of us can submit ourselves to you, to your lordship, God, help us where we have reluctance to dive into that, to see what it's about, to be willing to surrender or work through things in the healthiest way that we possibly can so that you can be glorified in our midst. Take care of our needs as we trust you, Lord, and I pray today that you'll draw us near to you. And we pray it in Christ's name, amen.